0: and welcome to the Amplifying Scientific Innovation video podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sophia Onoye Oye, founder and CEO of the Sophia Consulting Firm, a life science marketing and communications consultancy that was established in New York City with the goal of amplifying scientific innovation. The goal of this podcast is to showcase scientific innovation stemming from global life science companies through conversations with senior leaders who share their unique leadership journey corporate vision, and industry outlook. My guest today is Dr. Gary A. Parkran, president and chief executive officer of the National Minority Equality Forum, formerly the National Minority Health Month Foundation, a not-for-profit organization that he founded oh. in 1998 with the goal of strengthening the capacity of local communities to eliminate the disproportionate burden of premature death and preventable illness in minority populations. Dr. Parkwin graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Brown University where he received his master's degree and doctorate degree in history. Gary has taught at several universities including a tenured faculty position at Rutgers University. He's also the recipient of many awards and honors including being named a visiting scholar and fellow at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Based on my relationship with John Novak, head of patient engagement and senior director of communications at Inspire, I was introduced to Mary Stober moray VP Collaborative Action Networks at NMQF, who went on to introduce me to Gary Small World. Welcome to the show, Gary. It's a pleasure to have you here. It's my pleasure. <laughs> Great. Uh, so, my first question is my favorite, and it is. Going to be interested in uh, learning your insights from the perspective of, of a historian, which is of course what you are. Uh, what is your definition of scientific innovation?
1: To me scientific innovation is really about the capacity, the human capacity, because when I look across the animal kingdom, we're the only ones that have the ability to do it, which is to take the objective reality and mold it in a way that improves the quality of our life and Conserves life. Um, It is a powerful thing. Mm. Uh, It is how we learn Mm -hmm. uh, to um, support our lifestyle. And so um, it is really transformative.
0: Great. It's it's good to know that scientific innovation teaches us how to learn and how to iteratively improve our quality of life. So thank you for sharing that. Um, My next question for you is, what would you consider to be your most impactful professional accomplishment prior to your current role as the presidency of the NMQF?
1: You know, I'm an old dog. I've been around (laughs) for a while, so I've taken a lot of pathways here. I I suspect the greatest part of my life, though, was when I was a graduate student from Brown. I grew up Mm. uh, in the inner city of New York. Mm. Uh, When I was growing up, I had very little expectations of getting to college, let alone graduate school. And I remember my first day in graduate school. You know what I said to myself? What? They're paying me to read a book. <laughs> and I'm going to take advantage of that. Because the community where I came from, mm. people did not have that luxury to spend the day reading a book. Mm. Uh, and I say that to a lot of young people. Uh, there was um, a great um, uh, advisor of mine, Jewel Plummer Cobb, Mm-hmm. And she was the dean of uh, of uh, uh, Connecticut College when I first knew and went on to be president of, uh, of uh, Rutgers University's uh, Douglas College. She said to me, read everything. Right. And that's what I say to young people read everything.
0: Right. I mean, I think that is so important um, that people that sign contracts without even reading it. And then later on, you're like, wait, what did I put myself into? So thank you for encouraging us in this age of almost flippancy around reading to still go back to the fundamentals and read. So thank you for that. Yeah,
1: very important.
0: Yeah. Um, but now I'm curious to know what inspired you to establish the NMQF and how does that tie into your leadership mantra?
1: You know, it's interesting. I, you know, when I was when I was young, and I guess I'm spending a lot of time thinking now, but when I was young, I grew up, there were four television stations. Right. Um, and um, one of them was uh, CBS News. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Walter Cronkite uh, was the uh, was the anchor of that show it came on every uh, weekday uh, at seven o'clock and he would end the broadcast uh, with uh, talking about the stock market mm-hmm. uh, you know the stock market went up it went down et cetera et cetera and I would always say to myself, yeah you know but money's fungible. what's really mm-hmm. important is how many people died today? what did they die of? I think that's a more important question more important thing for us to measure. So when I had the opportunity to start the National Minority Quality Forum, uh, that's what I wanted to focus on. I wanted to focus on uh, creating metrics and building databases that help us understand um, who died today, what did they die of? Because at NMQF, right. we treat every event as a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to the hospital's a learning experience, the emergency mm-hmm. room visit, mm-hmm. dying. That gets us back to the innovation question that you answered earlier. Because that's how we innovate, uh, by taking those unique experiences and learning from them uh, so that the next generation doesn't have to go through what we went
0: through. Right. Innovation teaches us to learn how to learn. Thank you for that. Um, And the NMQS mission to reduce risk by assuring optimal care for all is an important one focusing on your mission, what are some major barriers to achieving this mission? And along those lines, why do you think these issues exist in the first place?
1: Well, I think obviously the the greatest challenge is really public will. Mm. Um, We're really confused, and as you can tell right now, we're going through a period of even more confusion. Uh, And uh, what we need to do is to get everyone focused on the mission at hand. The mission at hand, like anybody else in the animal kingdom, is how do we conserve life? How do do we um, make sure that the next generation has it a lot better uh, uh, than than we do? And so from that vantage point, the National Minority Quality Forum, when we talk about reducing patient risk, we're talking about reduced risk for hospitalizations, Mm -hmm. emergency room visits, Mm -hmm. disability, mortality. Mm -hmm while improving um, uh, the quality of life. And uh, and so that's what we focus on every day. And, and part of our work is to convince others uh, right. that, that that's the metric that really sets us apart and uh, that we should all collectively be thinking about.
0: Right. But I imagine those issues exist because of the inequalities that have existed in not just the American healthcare system, but a system at large, right? Uh, can you comment a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, you, you know, one of the unique things about America teaches the world a lot of lessons, right? Uh, and one of the unique lessons, unfortunately, uh, that came out of the American experience was the, the subordination of human life to mm-hmm. economy. Uh, so if you think about slavery, that's wow. exactly what slavery was about. Wow. Right? We're going to take the biology of these people and we're going to subordinate uh, to our economic interests. Uh, what we think about is that our economy should support our biology. Right? Hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a flip uh, hmm. on it. But when you think about it for just a couple of seconds, you realize that, yeah, that's what it should be doing. right? right? And so when we look at our presidents and leaders, and our scientists, uh, we're all asking them the same question. Support our biology. What, what can you do to help us? Yeah. And I think if we thought from that vantage point, uh, there's an opportunity to real, really build strong collaborations uh, that build really healthy and sustainable communities.
0: I Extremely well said. I could not agree with you more. And it actually ties into my next question for you, which is, Uh, A recent SWOG Cancer Research Network study demonstrated that less than one in four of Mastil Company-sponsored trials include African American cancer patients. Can you provide more details on what your team is doing to address disparities in clinical trial recruitment for minorities alone, and of course, in collaboration with other uh, influential organizations?
1: Yeah, so the historian really wants to start you at the beginning of that question. Yeah. Uh, so America, uh, a century ago, um, last century, um, was built upon racial segregation.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, inequalities, uh, and so the healthcare system uh, that was developed uh, produced inequalities, and, um, and no one, at least minority populations and those who suffered from it, understood but the larger population really didn't understand that. Even as late as uh, 2008, 48% of African-Americans had no health insurance.
0: Yeah. 54%
1: wow. of Hispanics had no health insurance. And wow. So why is that important to the question you asked me? Because if you are an innovator producing innovative cancer treatments, you know that that 48% of African-Americans who have no health insurance are not going to be able to access Mm -hmm. your product, right? Mm -hmm. You know, 54% of the Hispanics uh, were not going to be able to access your product. And so you didn't put them in the clinical trials uh, because um, there was no, in your mind, there was Mm -hmm. no market value to that. But what that also did was, unrecognized, you created a homogeneous Mm -hmm. population that you were studying that made it very hard to understand cancer because it's, easier to understand a heterogeneous population where you can see differences right. as opposed to some homogeneous population. Right. But what's really happening now, and this is really independent of the National Minority Quality Forum, is that America is browning. Yeah. Uh, and so if you are, if you have a drug that you're going into clinical trials with today, uh, by the time it comes to market, the majority of people who are going to use it are black and brown people and so this is not a nice to have question anymore this is a question about uh, do you want to be able to uh, provide your product to an expanding market mm-hmm. or do you want to have it uh, go to a shrinking market but even saying that yeah in uh, the, the market recognition it's still hard to accomplish because there are these mental barriers that are still mm-hmm. out there uh, the way we did things in the past that are still out there And so on that piece of it, the National Minority Quality Forum, uh, what we try to do is help innovative companies understand the emerging market in the United States. Everybody thinks that America is just this mature marketplace Mm -hmm. and nothing new under the sun. And the Mm -hmm. answer is not true. Uh, There's an emerging market. Uh, If you want to have access to that market, then you need to get those folks into your clinical trials. And and that's the business. for your company to
0: think about. Yeah, thank you so much for those insights. I know from the panel discussion that we had during the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, I was very impressed by the strong relationships that you had with executives at Pfizer and at Novartis. And it seems like there's a turning point now where large pharmaceutical companies are listening to organizations like yours and relying on on you all for for insights on how to move the needle. And I think that's definitely a step in the right direction, and I'm sure that you would agree with that. Correct?
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things I will say, um, uh, everyone thinks that, you know, social change, or let me rephrase that, a lot of people believe that social change comes in demonstrations and uh, forcing the system uh, to respond. The most lasting and powerful change comes with the business community. Mm. Um, and, and what I learned very, very early in the conversation hmm. is that minority communities need innovative companies to address the diseases that afflict us. Hmm. Um, w- without them, there is no cure for sickle cell. Right. Uh, we're not going to reduce those cancer and, and asthma and diabetes and all of the other things that plague our community. We need those innovative companies to be our partners. Right, and I know we uh, there's lots of folks disparage them for all kinds of reasons, but they don't understand the point. The right, the point is, those innovative companies, our our future is tied to them, uh, and we're not going to get better health. More stability in our community.
0: Thank you for that. Um, so, collaboration is key. And uh, one of the reasons why I created this platform, Amplifying Scientific Innovation, is that I felt that there was a need to showcase the work that is being done at pharma, at biotech, uh, health tech companies, because they often have this reputation as being. Uh, price gouging just only concerned about making money but I think there's a lot of good work that is being done and obviously last year with COVID we learned quite a lot around how quickly we can get new vaccines to the market and the regulators also play an important role in in these types of changes so thank you for highlighting that perhaps a more open-minded more collaborative uh, process will lead to better solutions for diseases of all kinds.
1: Um, uh, that, that is certainly that is certainly um, the hope. Well, yeah. um, incentivizing innovation is a smart thing. Mm-hmm. You want people in their garages, at work, wherever they are, to feel as if if they find the cure for this or that, mm-hmm. that we the society will reward them. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is the smartest thing I've seen, uh, looking historically, uh, that moves innovation and. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need to be we need to recognize. It.
0: Yes. And we're seeing that with the ODD, the orphan drug designation um, process that incentivizing and it actually helped to bring new solutions for rare diseases. Right. And so, I think that if we remain open minded and continue to have conversations with the people that matter in a matter, in a matter of course, that is collegial, because to your point, it doesn't necessarily need to be combative for good results to come out of those conversations. And I like the approach that your organization is taking and I think we could all learn a lot from you. Um, One more thing that we previously discussed was how clinical trial protocols may be structurally biased against recruitment of minorities. And uh, as we shift to a multicultural democracy, what are some recommendations for sustaining uh, a focus on clinical trial diversity? Um, It would be great if you could also include uh, any lessons learned from COVID-19 trials
1: in, in your response? Well, first of all, uh, what's fascinating about COVID-19, as far as I'm concerned, is in December, we didn't have a vaccine. Last December, <laughs> yeah. 2019, we had no vaccine. yeah And this December, we're, we're starting to put vaccines out there. That's a marvelous yeah. achievement of yeah. scientific capacity yeah. and power. And I think we don't understand that enough, because if we understood it enough, we would say, well, if we could do that for COVID, can we do that for diabetes? Can yes. we do that for asthma? Can yes. we do that for sickle cell? That—that That is the point. So on, on this whole issue of, of clinical trials, that heterogeneity is the opportunity to learn very, very quickly. Mm. Uh, and one of the things we have to do is we have to persuade those in our community that they need to participate in those clinical trials, right? And certainly, it happened with COVID. Uh, African Americans and Hispanics joined those trials. Now, some of the problem in the past is that they weren't asked to participate yeah. in the trials, right? Yeah. and and so everybody thought, well, they wouldn't join because the Tuskegee no was because you didn't ask, them, right? right. Uh, and if you ask them and you ask them in a way in which they're confident, mm-hmm. uh, with trusted voices, they will come in because. We need to cure these diseases in our community. You know, if you think about it, the way in the animal kingdom, regenerative medicine works is uh, you cut off the tail of a lizard and somehow the lizard's tail grows back. It didn't do a normal thing, but the biology. But that's not how we were organized. Yes, We were organized to learn. We were Mm -hmm. organized to figure out how to take the objective reality and put together therapies that matched our biology and helped us. Uh, That's true for whites, it's true for Asians, it's true for Blacks, it's true for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so in order to accelerate the knowledge generation, everybody has to be part of the collaboration. Everybody has a role to play. Some is patients, some is innovators, some is administrators, Uh, but the point is, it is that deep collaboration. And so what we're pushing for uh, at the National Minority is really to build those learning communities
0: mm-hmm. around
1: these uh, diseases that trouble us, because we don't want to pass them on to our kids. A lot of times I hear in Washington, people say, we don't want to p- pass those taxes on, uh, those financial burdens on to our kids. And right. I say, I don't want to pass diabetes on to them. I don't want to pass cancer on to them or leukemia or whatever. Right. Is. And so I think that's, that's really where the future is. And, and that's what we're trying to organize around. Right
0: no, thank you for sharing that. I remember reading a research article published in the New England Journal of Medicine um, last year, around maybe October or November or so. Um, And they cited this data that I I found slightly depressing, that even though Black people make up 13% of the U.S. population, they account for 21% of the deaths from COVID-19, but only 3% of enrollees in the vaccine trials. And it just gets back to the point you made earlier, that they're not being asked to participate in these trials. And... If we don't start to look for heterogeneity in patient response, we're never gonna truly understand any disease. And we're always gonna be surprised by some of the side effects that you will end up having when these drugs are are made more public, so.
1: Yeah, I I think we also have to get accustomed to talking openly about the segregation and racism uh, that haunts our society. Uh, that in very, very subtle ways carried by individuals whose voices get heard uh, and contribute to the uh, inequalities in healthcare from clinical trials to access uh, to therapy. And we have to you know, use the data to really uh, build bridges over them and, mm-hmm. and by them uh, as we try to work towards our future.
0: Yeah, extremely well said. And of course, I couldn't agree with you more. I only have just a few more questions for you, Gary. Um, and I'm curious about this on a personal note. Um, are there emerging technologies that you're currently excited about, especially as it relates to uh, cancer clinical trial recruitment, monitoring, and data analysis?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm personally, I'm really excited uh, by these multi-cancer blood uh, screening tests uh, Mm. that are coming on stream. Uh, Think about it, Um, we'll soon be able to take one blood test and diagnose uh, the the presence of cancer well before the individual is symptomatic. For those Mm -hmm. who don't know, uh, what's happening is that in the early stages of of cancer, uh, proteins get released into the blood uh, before you're symptomatic. And if we can identify those proteins earlier, Uh, we will be able to develop therapies that keep those cancers from becoming life-threatening. And so I I think that's a a marvelous innovation. Um, It's inexpensive. Um, You know, we'll have to learn a lot in terms of how to manage uh, those diseases, but um, I think think that's uh, really exciting. The the other place um, that uh, I'm personally paying a lot of attention to you know, it's all this social media stuff. You know, uh, we have a lot of companies that are using social media to generate great wealth for themselves. Um, But there's also an opportunity uh, to use that of those technologies to support healthy, sustainable communities. And I think if we use them in a smart way, um, they can really transform and support our life as opposed to becoming a Public nuisance and and um, bringing merely um, uh, people who probably shouldn't be associating uh, together uh, in in forums that uh, raise uh, public noise. Uh, so we're paying attention to that. Uh, we think that there's an important opportunity uh, to do some good stuff there.
0: I couldn't agree with you more, especially since I was a cancer, a former cancer research scientist early detection is really key, and some of those uh, blood-based screening techniques that you mentioned are really the wave of the future. And secondly, to your point around social media, I think sometimes it has a negative construct, but there's a lot we can do to educate and to inform, and you don't have to have a million followers to do that. You can start with your own small community and share as much as you can around positive news, uh, credible news, and news that can actually help all of us to be more optimistic about the future because there's so much pessimism in the world today. But to the point that you made at the beginning of our conversation, we have so much to look forward to. We have to remain optimistic. So thank you for sharing that. and you alluded to this earlier. I imagine uh, sort of heterogeneity in, in patient populations, uh, improved insurance conditions for patients, things of that nature. But I'll be curious to know that any other consideration factors that you think will be important for sustaining innovation in the life science and healthcare industry?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think in that score, um, helping our political leaders, because at the end of the day, um, uh, they handle our our investment, if you will, yeah. you know, and helping them to understand um, what the value of innovation truly is mm-hmm. and what it means to their constituents. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure they know that. I'm not sure that um, you know we we've had that conversation with them. Um, they get uh, mm. bombarded by a lot of different things, mm. um, uh, and so sometimes um, they they can lose sight. Of real uh, important nugget uh, uh, that's in front of them, um, we are in the middle of a scientific and medical revolution. Hmm. Uh, we're operating hmm. at the genomic level. We're, hmm. we're, you know, if you got a computer and you're able to go inside there and reprogram the computer, uh, you can make it run differently. And and that's where we are um, when it comes to uh, to human beings. We're down at the genomic level now uh and we're going to learn a lot of wonderful things but we need to accelerate we need to learn quicker uh we need to be able to program better uh and the only way we're going to move forward with that is that our political leadership is going to wake up one day and say this is the generation for the medical revolution uh and we need to support that because when we come out of this revolution uh, we humanity will be very, very different and very, very stronger uh, uh, for that for that investment. And I think that's really the message. That I love
0: how it, it just comes back to the points that you made at the beginning of our conversation. We have to learn how to learn. We have to go back to the fundamentals to, to read. And we have to learn how to collaborate uh, internally and externally. I think it's easy to criticize anyone, especially senior leaders. But are you actually providing suggestions? Are you trying to share your knowledge with the world in some capacity, even if it's just on your personal social media. So thank you for sharing those nuggets. And in closing, do you have any final commentary or thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience?
1: Well, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity and and the work that you're doing to bring all of this information. It's really important, all the work that you're doing and sharing. Uh, We have to take a moment to educate community, the broad community, about the value of innovation, what it means to them specifically, people get lost in their daily life and Mm -hmm. don't have that moment um, to find information um, that really is important to them and their family. So I want to thank you and all that you're doing to uh, make a real contribution in educating the public about the value of scientific innovation.
0: It's my absolute pleasure, and I wouldn't have a platform without the support of people like yourself. So, thank you for generously donating your time and your insights. I am absolutely looking forward to staying in touch with you. And something tells me I'll be seeing you again very soon. So, thank well, you very much. look for forward to it. Okay. All right.